Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am so excited to have with me as my guest, Dre Baldwin. Dre, welcome to my show. Meredith, thank you very much for having me here. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am too, and I want to just give a little quick backstory of how I came to meet Dre. I was listening to my very favorite podcast with Chris Doris, who's been a guest on my show, and I heard his interview with Dre, and I immediately knew I wanted to interview Dre for my podcast because I loved his energy, his enthusiasm, and passion for getting this message out to the world. So before we jump into all the questions I have, Dre, based on your new book, I want to do a little bit more of a formal introduction. In just five years, Dre Baldwin went from his high school team's bench and also getting cut from his college team to a nine-year professional basketball career. And in addition to that, he has created what you could only refer to as a content publishing empire because Dre has been blogging since 2005. He started publishing videos on YouTube in 2006, and he's now published more than 7,000 videos with over 73 million views. He also has a daily work on your game podcast that's got over 3 million listeners. He's also given four TED Talks and authored 27 books. It's kind of amazing when I think about all of that content, Dre. Some people say, how can I publish an article every week on LinkedIn, right? (laughs) Or whatever. And here you are, just a content creation machine. So I want to get into that with you a little bit as we get into our discussion. Um, But I do want to say that I've had a chance to read Dre's latest book, which is called Work on Your Game. And I really loved it. Dre, since I read the electronic version of it, maybe you could just hold up a copy of your book for everyone that is watching the video. And what we're going to focus on today are the four principles that he talks about in this book. I'm a firm believer in these principles, and I attempt myself to live them every day, and yet I got some really wonderful insights, additional ideas that I'm eager to have Dre share with our audience. Before we get into those four, though, one of the stories you told that really stuck with me in your book was after you graduated from college and you came back home and your, your parents had one of those brief but poignant talks with you. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about what was it in that conversation that really uh, impacted you and caused you to 
to make some decisions that were important for your life? Sure. So coming from graduating from college, I had a business degree with a focus in management and marketing from Penn State University. But I had gone to Penn State Altoona, which is a branch campus of the Penn State system. And sports-wise, Penn State Altoona is a Division III school. So for those who know sports, you know, Division III is the third tier of athletes. And D3 athletes, Meredith, uh, we usually don't even dream about playing our sport professionally, let alone do we actually make it happen. But I had this idea of making it pro, even though I'd gone to a D3 school. And my senior year of college, I wasn't even on the basketball team because a new coach had come in, aside from the guy who actually brought me to the school. It was a new guy, and he had kind of clean house. So I wasn't even part of the program, not because of a lack of skill, but just because sometimes that happens. Like if a, a new CEO, CEO comes into a company, they fire a lot of people, not because they can't do the job. They just want their own people in. So my parents knew that about my background. And even though they're not huge sports junkies, they don't – I mean, my dad's big into sports. My mom knows a little bit. She's a, not even a casual fan. I wouldn't even say that. But neither of them knew anything about the overseas basketball world, which is where I wanted to go. And back at this time, we're talking 2004, nobody knew anything about the overseas basketball world. I mean, the only books and content out about overseas basketball to this day is, is my stuff and people who took my stuff and made other versions of it. So I didn't have any information. So when I came home, obviously I'm a college graduate. My parents had supported me for 22 years. And they're like, okay, what are your plans now? I mean, because ideally you raise your children up to go to college, graduate, you know, go get a career, go do something and get the hell out of this house. So that's what I expected. My parents were expecting of me. And I told them I wanted to play professional basketball. Now, at first, my, my mother was doing most of the talking in this conversation. And she was just like, well, she didn't know anything about it. So she's like, okay, well, do you have any prospects? Do you have a job offer? Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy? Like, when is this supposed to happen? And answers to those questions were no, no, no. And I have no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> my, and my parents were, and this was all very logical and reasonable. Their position was, well, look, you don't have any plans or anything. You went to school. You got a degree. Go in. You know, you need to get yourself a job. You need to get, you know, start living like an adult, whatever that entails. Getting a job, getting a car, getting an apartment. I had braids in my hair back then. So mom said, you need to get a haircut. So this was just uh, what they thought. And this was all, again, logical and reasonable. There was nothing. I never put it in my mind that my parents were like hating on me or not believing in me or anything like that. This was just looking at the situation very practically. Okay. You don't have any way to make this happen, but you say you want to do it. That doesn't make any sense. Go do something that you can actually make real. So I had this idea in my mind that I could play pro ball, but there was no one and nothing in my orbit that said that was going to happen. So what it did for me, Meredith, to answer your question is it just sparked in me, just the competitiveness that any athlete has to have in them to succeed in sports is that competitiveness that it wasn't even that I was competing against my parents. Because again, any rational person, if I had known you back then, Meredith, you probably would have told me the same thing my mom told me. It doesn't make any sense. So I wasn't mad at them. It was just the idea that I was kind of fighting against and that I wasn't going to allow that circumstance that I didn't have any prospects to stop me from doing what I wanted to do with my life. And that was really what I tell people all the time. Yes, I'm 6'4", and I can jump 39 inches in the air, and I can dribble and shoot. But the main thing that made me a professional basketball player was that internal drive that said, I'm going to make this happen. Because I'm not the only person in the world who can dunk or dribble a basketball, but not all of them make it pro. Mm -hmm. That's such a great story, 
because I think it kind of lays the groundwork for getting into those four areas that have become sort of the foundation for you in all the work that you do. Because now, well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Besides all this content you're creating, what are some of the other things you're involved with with your business? Uh, well, here at Work On Your Game Incorporated, it is about taking the mental tools necessary to succeed in sports and teaching how those tools can be applied to business and life. So we work with entrepreneurs, business professionals, of course, athletes. And as far as the, the ways that we help people, of course, we put out all, we do all the free stuff. So anything, any kind of content you can think of, we're in on it, audio, video, written material. I do professional speaking. I do coaching and business consulting. We are working on actually a membership program that will probably be, it'll probably be out by the time this episode comes out. So we'll, maybe we'll talk about that. We haven't nailed it down quite yet. And really what we aim to do is just help people become the best version of themselves. People who feel like they can do more and be more than they are right now. So there's some people who are where they are and they're, they're cool with that. They just, they're good with the status quo. Those are not the people that come to us. The people that come to us, they hear the phrase work on your game. Okay. And I don't even have to explain what that means. People understand, okay, there's some effort involved. I'm going to get better. I can do more than I'm already doing. People get that without me even having to explain it. So those are the kind of people that come to us and our whole approach is from the inside out narrative. So it starts with the mental game and then it goes out to the tangible skills and the tangible resources. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason I was so eager to have you be a guest on my show because my listeners to me are people that are always working on their game. They're really interested in, in growing and learning. And so why don't we kick it off by having you talk about those four main principles to start with, and then we'll go deeper into each one. Sure. Well, just to give a, a quick background on where that came from is, you know, I came in the game, as you said, publishing content, and it was mostly basketball stuff because I was playing basketball. And what happened is these basketball players seeing me in the gym every day, posting these videos, they started asking me questions like, Dre, why do you show up every day to work on your, what keeps you coming to the gym every day? Or how can you play in the games as well as you play in practice? Or why'd you keep trying to play basketball when you got cut from your high school team three years in a row? Or how'd you even get started doing this stuff? So I started answering those questions and in answering, I came up with this four part framework that now is work on your game. And that's discipline, showing up every day to do the work, confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically, mental toughness, continuing to show up, doing the work, putting yourself out there, even when the success you've expected to achieve is yet to be achieved and personal initiative, making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I think those are worth repeating. So people really, you know, visualize what that is. So discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. Right. One of the things you talked about with discipline, because I know that's a good place to start. You, um, use this phrase, the third day. And yeah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that because I think my audience, all of us actually, have been there with that third day concept. An example that I use for the third day is someone who hasn't been to the gym for a while. They, they've been to the gym before, but they haven't been there for a while. They haven't worked out in some time. So, but they get excited and they decide one day that they're going to get back into it. So this person goes to the gym, they hire, they sign up for the membership, they hire themselves a coach, sign up for 12 sessions of a boot camp class, go to Lululemon, get themselves some new pants, some workout sneakers, and they're, they're ready to go. 
and you get to that gym that first day, you feel great. I mean, you haven't been there in a while. This is something that you want to do. You know it's going to help you. You know it's going to be a little bit of, a, of pain involved, but you're willing to deal with it because you know on the other side of it, there's going to be a positive result. So the first day of anything, everybody's excited, like the first day of school. Second day, you're still feeling pretty good. You know, a little bit sore from working out the first day because you hadn't worked out in a while, so your body's not conditioned to it. You're a little bit sore, but you're still feeling good. It's only the second time you're doing it. Kind of like when you get a new car, that second morning, second morning when you come outside, you almost forgot you got a new car. It's like, oh, yeah, I got this new car. It still smells new, right, on the inside. So the second day, the workout's a little bit harder because you have that fatigue from the first day built up, but you're still, it's only the second day. You're feeling good. So you look at yourself in the mirror when you get home and you say, hey, I'm doing this. Now, on the third day, things change. On the third day, the newness has worn off. The excitement is no longer there. Uh, you don't really feel like going to the gym. You don't really feel like working out. You don't really feel like being pushed to do something that your body is telling you that you are not in shape to be doing. And the third day is the point in life, Meredith, where whether we're talking about the gym or we're talking writing a book or we're talking... Uh, hosting a podcast and we're talking publishing articles on LinkedIn when that energy that excitement has worn off the newness is gone and most people either a don't show up at all or b they show up and they only show up kind of halfway they in the sports world we call it mailing it in so they, they're there but they're not really there they're not all the way there mentally and the challenge with that this whole concept of the third day the challenge with mailing it in or not showing up all the way is at the professional level, you can't afford to do that. You literally can't afford to do it because you'll lose your job. Whereas amateurs are okay. They can not show up one day. Nobody cares because nobody's paying. But at the pro level, if you're not willing and able to and willing to push yourself to show up every single day, uh, you won't be in the job for long. And especially in the sports world where everything you do is under a microscope. And in a professional world as well, depending on the level that you're at and the industry that you're in, everybody sees what you're doing. If you're not showing up, it'll show in your results or – Maybe somebody who has authority over you, they'll see that you're not showing up and that can lead to problems. So third day concept is all about your willingness, your decision to show up all the way when you least feel like showing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this um, a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are business owners themselves. They might be consultants, do leadership coaching and training or other kinds of service professionals. And many times when people start a business, as you well know yourself, there's a lot to learn. So what are some of the things that you, and also just the idea of working for yourself, that you don't have someone supervising your work, what, are, what have you found to be helpful for business owners to help them keep that discipline uh, and stay on track? most important thing is you have to be self-driven. You have to be a self-starter if you're going to be a business owner. If you're, especially if you're starting on by yourself as a solopreneur, you have to be self-driven. You have to, I tell people that uh, Malcolm X said in his autobiography that every organization must have a boss. Even if you are the only person in that organization, you have to be the boss of yourself, which means if you're going to start your own business, you need to treat your work as if you did have a supervisor. So if you're supposed to be working from nine to five, that means not on Facebook, not showing up at 1030 when you feel like it, not taking a, a two hour break to hang with your friends. You're actually working from nine to five the same way you would be working if you were in a cubicle or if you were at, you know, you're running a McDonald's. You have to be in charge of yourself by yourself. 
And if you have other people working for you, that is even more important because those people are going to follow your lead. If everyone knows that you're the person in charge and you're not showing up all the way, then they know they don't have to show up all the way. And if you, you're not showing up and then you try to tell them to show up, they're not going to listen to you. That will just undermine any respect that they have for you. So the first thing is that discipline. Second one is confidence. Now you have to have the belief in your ability to actually make something happen. And if you haven't done it before, then one thing you can do, and I talk about this in my book, is that you can borrow your belief from somebody else or borrow somebody else's belief, make it yours for a short enough period of time that you can start to build some traction on your own. Then the third level is understanding that everything in business is not always going to work out in your favor. No business is always going up and to the right. No business, everything goes perfect. Uh, no business person, everything they do is a success. Most business people have more failures than they have successes that you might not know about, but they've had plenty of them. So your willingness to keep going and stay disciplined and stick to the script, even when things aren't working, is pivotal in any area of life because what I tell people is everyone goes through stuff in life, but only some people get to the other side of it, Meredith, where they can tell their story of all the stuff they went through and they made it anyway. Everybody else becomes a statistic. The people who tried, but they failed, and they just become numbers on, a, on some data sheet. And the last one is all these mental tools are excellent, but you have to actually do something, right? You have to actually move your feet. So the last one is personal initiative. Go and do something. Actually get started, make a phone call, create a product, put it out to the world. Even if nobody buys it, at least now you know what happened. Now you have some activity knowledge. You have some experience, something that you can go off of. And, and what's interesting is that you know, even when we talk about the expert world with professional speakers and authors, nobody wants to read a book of a person who everything they did worked <laughs> because nobody has that experience. I want to hear the speech of the person who has failed the way that I'm failing right now so I know I can relate to this person. So when they tell me how to succeed, I know they know that they've been in my seat. But mm-hmm. if your whole story is everything has worked for you, then what can I learn from you? Because everything ain't working for me. So I can't learn from your experience. So. Those are the the things that I would tell a business person to really get themselves moving. Well, I want to circle back on the confidence area because you had three different chapters on that. I was so glad you did because I think that's something, you know, we all question ourselves uh, for a variety of reasons. And so there were different things. One of the things that I love was this question of who do I need to be? Yes. And looking at, why that's such a powerful question. And then the, the whole be, do, have concept that you talk about. Go, go into that because I thought that was so powerful. Absolutely. And it's like this in life. Most people who are listening to this show, Meredith, I think you would agree, they have some things they want to achieve in life. Most people don't listen to any type of self-help, personal development material unless there's something they want to get, something they want to get to in life. So assuming that you listening right now has something that you want, okay? And you also understand you're listening to this episode. This guy has a book called Work on Your Game. So I'm assuming you're willing to do the work. All right? I'm assuming you understand there's going to be some effort involved in getting what you want in life. You can't get something for nothing. Most people have those two things down. If you're listening to this type of show, you probably have that handle. You know what it means to work, and you know what it means to have goals. The challenge is many people go through life with only those two questions answered, And they work really hard, but they do not get the outcomes that they want. And what ends up happening is they either just keep working, they work themselves to death and don't get what they want, or they start to question themselves. Maybe I'm the wrong person. Maybe I'm just in the wrong situation. Maybe life is working against me. Maybe it's bad luck. Maybe it's 
something in the environment that's working against me because of, of where I'm from, because of my because of my rent, my race, because of my gender, because of my nationality, because of something that's blocking me. Or they think, well, maybe I just chose the wrong industry. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do what he's doing. Maybe I should try what she's doing. The problem, the actual problem that many people have is not really a problem because it can easily be fixed is most people never ask themselves the question that you shared their narrative is who do I need to be? And when you ask the question, who do I need to be? The question is about what type of person do you need to be in the world? How do you need to present yourself? How are you showing up? Uh, How do you want people to feel when they come across you? What kind of energy do you want people to have when you walk into a room? What do you want people to think about you when you walk out of the room? How do you want people to feel when they just think about you, even if they don't even know you, you're not even there? What do you want people to feel? Who do I need to be is about your presence in the world. And one thing that I talk about in the book is that when you change who you are being, the energy of what you are doing changes. And when the energy of what you're doing changes, what you have, your results change. And a simple example is everyone, everyone who's listening can relate to this. There's a time in life when you were doing what you thought was the right thing. You thought you had the right strategy, the right plan, everything to do that is going to work out. And you're doing it, doing everything you need to do, working hard, but you're not getting a result. And then for whatever reason, maybe because your energy changed, maybe because you got angry, maybe it's because you got happy, maybe you became very optimistic because you met somebody who had already achieved it and they told you, hey, it's going to work out, just keep trying. And just them saying that made you feel better. Maybe you got really frustrated because you thought it would be working by now and it's three years later and it's still not working. Maybe it's because you just decided that enough is enough. You said, I'm just going to try this one more time and I'm going to give everything I have. And if it doesn't work, I'm walking away. So you stop holding back. For whatever reason, your energy changed. You did the exact same thing you were doing before. And all of a sudden, it started working. You didn't change your strategy. You as a person, your energy changed, your presence changed, who you were being changed. And all of a sudden, everything else started working. And that has happened to all of us in life. So when we're able to get ourselves in that position mentally and stay there, and that we can control that, you can get your actions to produce the results that you want. Well, one of the things you talked about was, you know, not going with this fake it till you make it, yeah. but to actually, you know, see yourself being there and using someone else as an example if, uh, if you need to do that. Talk a little bit about why you're against this fake it till you make it versus being who you want to be. The entire concept of fake it till you make it is based on the premise that you are pretending to be something that you're not. And then if you pretend long enough, you'll eventually become it. The challenge with that is the human brain. You can't trick your human brain like that. The brain is a little bit too smart and it takes everything literally. So if you're telling yourself you're faking to be something, it knows that you're faking. It knows that you're pretending. It knows that it's only temporary. And eventually it's kind of like Cinderella. Eventually the clock is going to strike midnight and you, you go from that beautiful ball gown to wearing rags again. Mentally, this is what happens to all of us when we tell ourselves that we're, when we tell ourselves that we are faking. So the better option, instead of saying that I'm faking to be this you know, superstar businessman or celebrity businesswoman is I'm going to become this person. And the moment that you decide to become someone other than who you have been, it immediately becomes real and it remains real for as long as you're willing to continue to to be that person. So to answer your question a little bit more, ask yourself a simple question. You can borrow from another person. You don't know. Let's say you want to be a, 
you want to be a successful business person. You're starting your business right now. It's just you. You have zero revenue, but you want to be a hundred million dollar company. You don't know how to be that because you never did it before. Of course. So ask yourself who has done it. And then once you get some answers, you can probably find them on Google or you can just come up just using your own logic and reason who, what type of person do they have to be? What does a hundred million dollar entrepreneur do and how are they being, how do they look at themselves in the mirror versus how I'm looking at myself in the mirror? What do they see when they look at themselves? How do they carry themselves when they walk into a room? How do they feel when a customer is giving them a hard time and is you know, letting them know that maybe they're not going to buy the product? Do they get desperate to make sure they get that $10 or are they like, okay, well, I have a hundred million dollar company here. I don't, I can take or leave you $10. What kind of energy do they have? How do they feel when they walk into their business every single day? How do they talk about their business? Do they feel like they need validation from other people? Do they feel like they need someone else to give them a cosign so they can feel good about themselves? These are all questions you can ask yourself about the person who already is what you want to be. And you can, anyone listening to this, again, you just use your own logic and reason. You can come up with a pretty good list of ways that person is being. And then ask yourself, who am I being versus who this person is being? And all you have to do is match up your being with that person's being, and it changes your energy. And when your energy changes, your actions have no choice but to be different and you will get different results. This absolutely works 100% without fail. Anyone who's ever tried it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in these situations. The only challenge for most humans is that we don't always sustain it, but there is no need for faking, right? There's no faking here in life. The human brain does not know the difference between imagination and reality. So if you tell yourself that you are faking, the brain says, okay, it's fake. All right, eventually this is gonna be over and it won't last. Mm -hmm. If you tell yourself this is real, this is who I am, this is who I am, there's certain things that when certain people are a certain way, there's certain things that they always do. Person who is in great shape goes to the gym. Right, they don't eat the extra cookie. All right, they don't uh, drink a whole two liters of soda. They do make sure they take care of their body because that's who they are. They don't have to worry about what they do because it's who they are. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to remember this list of things that I need to do. No, change your being and the doing comes with it. That's so good. I think that, uh, is a very powerful uh, tool to use. It, it, another way I've seen it expressed is thinking of your future self, which your future Perfect. self would be that person who's currently living in, in the situation that you would like to be in. And so I like the specifics of looking at what they're doing so you can think about where's the gap? between how I'm thinking and being and how they are. One of the other things I loved in your chapters around uh, the confidence part is being bold. And I think one reason that resonated so much with me is I didn't grow up with that as a message. And probably a lot of my listeners didn't either. You know, don't brag too much. Don't, don't stand out too much. You know, don't, don't uh, push the bar barriers. Don't... Um, don't brag about how good you are. And yet you say it's important to get the word out to the world about how good you are. And so what does that look like in action? Because you've been really amazing at doing that and balancing that, um, not trying to, um, and I can't think of the right word now, but, you know, set yourself up as, as, um, apart in a braggadocious way, but, um, but yet being bold. So talk more about what that looks like. 
the first place I really heard anyone talk about that was in uh, my actual, my favorite book, which is Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power. It is chapter 28, Interaction with Boldness. And I remember I was standing in a bookstore, leafing through that book, because I'd never heard of this guy before. And I'm leafing through the book, and I saw that chapter, and that sold me on the book. Because there had always been something inside of me that was, as, as you said, Meredith, I grew up and was raised and socialized the same way. Don't uh, draw attention to yourself. Don't stand out too much. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. And what I realized over the years is that those labels are the labels that people put on you when you have a level of confidence that they just can't understand. And what happens is people usually criticize things when they don't understand it, not because they actually don't like it. They just don't get it. And sometimes they really don't like it, but so many times they just don't get it. So when it comes to that boldness and confidence and what it looks like in life is a concept that I call the super you. And the super you is you still being yourself, but is you at your highest possible level of confidence. And there's an example that I use in a book of a, a kid who's in high school playing high school basketball. And his coach says to the team one day, listen, today I'm going to have each one of you pretend to be one of your teammates all day in practice. So basically you're going to take that teammate and however that guy plays, you play like them all day. In other words, you're going to show each other how you play. So instead of me, the coach, criticizing you, I'm going to let your own teammate show you what kind of player you are. So you know what mistakes you're always making. You know how you're always messing up. Your teammates know. They see it. But now they're going to show you by demonstrating. So all the players were kind of like laughing, like this is going to be an interesting experiment. So this kid is the example in the story. He was only maybe the ninth or tenth best player on the team. Now, a basketball player only has 12 to 15 players. So he was a very, he was a marginal player. I mean, mediocre on his best day. But on this particular day, just through random luck of the draw, he gets assigned to be his teammate Mike, and Mike just happens to be the best player on the team. He just randomly got assigned. He has to be Mike all day. Now, Mike is a future Division I college athlete. He was the leading scorer on the team. This guy could really quit. So this kid, who's a marginal player on the team, his role, his coach told him, your assignment is to play like the best player on the team today. So he goes out on the court, and he's looking like LeBron James. He's just doing all kinds of things. He's making moves he never did before. He's taking and making shots that he never even tries. His teammates are looking at him slack jaw, like, where is this coming from? We've never seen you do this. And what he had tapped into is this whole concept of what I'm talking about here called the super youth. If you really think about that, this kid was the marginal ninth or, best, ninth or tenth best player on the team. Did he all of a sudden, just in the 30 seconds that his coach told him the assignment, he all of a sudden get all these skills out of nowhere? Did he, he just you know, all of a sudden become good and everybody else became bad? No. These abilities were already within him. The challenge was he was stuck in being the person he had always been. He was conforming to the person that he and the rest of the world expected him to be. And when he finally got the permission from his coach – to be someone other than who he had been up to that point, all of a sudden there's this quantum jump in his abilities. But his abilities did not actually change. It's just his willingness to tap into those abilities is what changed. And this is the same thing that can occur for you who is listening to this right now. You can choose to tap in a different set of abilities anytime that you want. But the first step is you have to give yourself permission to untether yourself from the expectations that you and society and maybe your peer group has put on you. And also do not allow yourself to be weighed down by you know, how people might feel or might react when they see you being something other than what they expected. Wow, that's a writer downer for those listening because 
I think too often we do impose these limits on ourselves, even though there's all this greatness waiting to come out that we just minimize sometimes our strengths and what our capabilities are. And I think that's a huge thing for people listening to think about. Where are you um, not excelling like you could be? Like the, I love that story with the kid on the basketball court. That was a, one of my favorite stories in your book. And it ties in, I think, with your other next principle I want to talk about, which is the mental toughness piece. First, let's talk about how you define that. What's your description of what does it mean to be mentally tough? Mental toughness is your willingness and ability to continue to be disciplined, meaning showing up every day, doing work, and confident, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically, even though all your discipline and confidence up to this point has not yet produced the desired result. So it hasn't actually, quote unquote, worked yet. Mental toughness is your willingness to keep sticking to the plan anyway. So some people call this persistence, you grit, perseverance. They get used interchangeably when we're talking on this subject, but that's what I define as mental toughness. Well, I thought you were a great example of that. In, um, in college, when you got cut from your team, you had a whole year of not playing basketball, and yet you had this decision that you made about playing professionally. So how did you bridge that gap? How did mental toughness help you during that period and until you got um, hired by the first team. Wow. Well, I remember the day that I got, I actually found myself off the team in the middle of practice one day. I kicked out of the gym. That was my last day on the basketball team. So we we're in the middle of practice and the coach you know, dismissed me from the gym. And I remember walking out of the gym and leaving the locker room, you know, going to my off-campus apartment and thinking to myself, like, my college basketball career may be over right now. I knew at that moment that I might not play another college basketball game. And the challenge was, once the shock of what had just happened wore off, was that I know I'm better than everybody who's still in that gym. And these are players who are, these people are still my friends to this day. But I said, I know I'm better than everybody that's in that gym. But at the same time, I'd always been a person who tried to look at things as objectively and practically as possible, even when I'm talking about myself. I said, okay, Dre, you can think whatever you want to think about how good you are, but listen, Somebody who doesn't know you will look at the situation and say, well, when there's a game next week, you're going to be in the bleachers and they're going to be on the court. So how can you say you're better than them? So I, had, I asked myself this question, how can I prove it? What can I do that will prove that I'm better than these players? And the answer was, okay, well, since college is over, what's the next level after college? The next level is improves. So that became my mentality was I'm going to make it into professional basketball. And this was January of 2003 when I – found myself off of the team. This was actually late in my junior season. And I didn't play my whole senior season. I didn't sign my first pro basketball contract until August of 2005. So we're talking over two and a half years that I had to have that mentality that I am going to make this happen, despite the fact that there was nothing in my orbit in that moment that was realistically, quote unquote, saying that I was going to make it. So... That very idea, and I think this is so important with, with anyone in business, because you're going to have doors slam in one form or another as you approach people to do business with you or you're trying new things. And this idea of how you have to see that situation to not become 
discouraged or defeated by it. But one of the things you didn't mention is how much you continued working on your game during that period. And I think that's a really critical point. You didn't slack off. And, and so you combined, you know, that discipline um, and confidence, as you talked about, with this decision to keep working at it. So just describe what you did, because I think it can help other people realize there are things they can continue doing on a day-to-day basis, even if the result they're hoping for hasn't shown up yet. Absolutely. So I got, I'm off the basketball team. The basketball season is still going on. So in between, you know, team practices that I wasn't a part of, I just found my time to go to the gym and continue to work on my game and practice and develop my skills, go into the weight room and lift weights and stay in my best basketball shape that summer working on my game. The following year when I wasn't even on the team the whole season, I found I knew what the schedule was of the gym on campus. So I knew when I could get into the gym and practice. I knew when I would come into the gym and play and just continue working on my skill set. And the thing that kept me, kept driving me during that year, that last year I'm in college, I'm not on the basketball team, is that, again, I'm friends with people who are on the basketball team. Some of my best friends to this very day were on that basketball team. My roommate was on the basketball team. So I know everything that's going on with the basketball team. I'm seeing these guys, these players, my ex-teammates, every single day. I'm just not on the team. I was going to all the games and everything. And when I would see them, I would always think to myself, this is just a story that I crafted in my head. Nobody said this to me, but... They were all like, okay, well, Dre's career is pretty much over. You know, I, I'm better than Dre right now. I'm on a basketball team. He's not. These are players that I knew I was 10 times better than. So I just crafted that story in my mind, and I used that as my drive to keep going and keep doing what I needed to do. And even though there was nothing I could do in that moment, I just kept practicing and just stayed ready because I knew when I got my opportunity to show the professional basketball decision makers what I could do, I knew I would be ready to do my thing. So I graduated from college. I had that talk with my parents that we talked about. And I, I bit the bullet. So I listened to them. They were right. I went and got me a, a quote-unquote regular job. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at Bally Total Fitness as a gym membership salesperson. I did that for a whole year after graduating from college. And I remember when I got my first paycheck from Foot Locker. That was my first job. I went and got me a, a membership at LA Fitness. And I started working out, lifting weights again playing basketball. I would go outside and run. And I'm from Philadelphia. So we had a little bit of warm weather still left. This is around September. And then I went to, you know, I'm in LA Fitness. I'm doing the cardio. I'm lifting weights. I'm playing basketball. Just continually working on my game. And I started setting my sights because when I graduated from college, Meredith, I found out about, for those who don't know how overseas basketball works, it's a very, very shadowy industry. There's no official governing information. There is a governing body overseas, but There's not a ton of information, especially when you're in America. You kind of don't know where to begin and what to do. There's my players every day. But I knew there was this thing called an exposure camp. An exposure camp is basically a job fair, but for athletes. It's a place where people like us, basketball players, we show up not with our resumes and suits on to shake hands, but with our sneakers and shorts. And we actually play basketball against each other in front of an audience of decision makers. And decision makers are agents, scouts, coaches, managers, and team owners from all around the world who are looking for basketball players to sign to their pro basketball teams. So I knew that these type of events existed. So I had my sights set on going to one of these events. They're usually held in the summer because basketball seasons go in the fall into the spring, just like in the United States. 
So they have their camps in the summer, they find talent, and then you play during the fall. So I knew in the summer of 2005, a year removed from graduation, I was going to go to one of these camps. So I saved up some money. Yeah, I think the first camp I went to it was $250. I paid it in cash at the door. Meredith, I didn't even have a bank account at this time. So I told him, hey, can I pay you in cash at the door? Yes, I brought them actual cash. So people remember this is the time you, could, you carried around money. $250 in cash at the door, paid it. We had driven, actually. Me and a couple of my college teammates, we drove from Philadelphia to Orlando. For those who don't know, that's about a 17-hour drive. We left Philadelphia on a Friday afternoon. The camp started at 9 a.m. sharp on Saturday. We arrived in the parking lot at 8.55, got out of the car, and walked right in the gym and started playing. Now, you can do that when you're 23. I probably couldn't do it now, but I did it then. And <laughs> we went there. I played really well at that exposure camp. And the thing about exposure camp, you just want to impress. You want somebody to remember your name and remember your face for some reason. Now, that sounds pretty cut and dry, but it's actually a little bit of a challenge because basketball is a team sport, right? Five on five. But the players you're playing with at the exposure camp, you don't know them. You never met them before. You'll probably never see them again. And everybody on your team is trying to impress the same way that you are trying to impress. Right. So nobody's playing unselfishly. Everybody's playing in a selfish way because everyone's trying to make themselves look good. The challenge with basketball is that it doesn't work when everybody's trying to make themselves look good. It, basketball works well when certain players know they have to sacrifice and other players know the ball's going to this guy. You over there, you're not going to get the ball much, but you understand that. That's your role. But at an exposure camp, nobody wants to play a role. Everybody wants to be the star. Right. So it's not as easy as it looks. But I was able to you know, navigate that because you want to show out and stand out. At the same time, you don't want to look like you're being selfish. But you have to be selfish. So it's kind of like tiptoeing that line. So I was able to do that. I got the footage from that exposure camp. And I didn't even get offered a contract at the exposure camp. A lot of people don't even, don't even know that. I went to the camp, played well. They gave me the footage. I went right back to Philadelphia. And that next morning, the camp was on a Saturday, Sunday. We left Orlando on Sunday. Got back to Philadelphia early Monday. I got in my car at the rental car place where I left my car. And I drove straight to Bally Total Fitness to be at work Monday morning. I was back at work. And it was only, that was in June. I didn't sign my contract until the end of August. So I took that footage and I started shopping myself out to basketball agents. So now, after that exposure camp, the thing that was different for me, the equation changed because now I had collateral. Because coming out of college, I didn't have any good game video. And if you want to play professional sports, you need some footage that proves that you can play. It's kind of like if you want to get a speaking gig, you need some video that shows you speaking, right? Mm -hmm. So I needed the same thing for basketball. I needed some footage that showed me playing against good players and doing well. So I had that now. And I had a scouting report that was written by a third-party source. So now I started calling agents. I mean, straight up cold calling agents on the phone and emailing them and saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's where I'm from. And most importantly, here's what I have. I have this game footage. I have this scouting report that proves that I can actually play. It's not just me talking. And the agent said, okay, let me see your footage. Now, just for everyone to understand, I may be dating myself a little bit here, Meredith, but this was not a YouTube link. This was a VHS tape. Uh, you remember those? Yeah, so this is a... This is a VHS tape. So I had a, a double-decker VCR at home. And those of you who are, uh, you millennials who are listening to this, uh, ask your parents, they'll tell you what a VCR is or <laughs> Google it. So I had a double-decker VCR and I went to Eckert, the drugstore, and I bought a 10-pack of blank VHS tapes and I made copies of my own game footage. And I was mailing that out on my own dime to agents all around the world who asked to see my game footage. And one agent, I sent that footage to about 20 agents. I called about 60. I got replies from about 20, 
I sent my footage to all of them. I got a response from one, one agent said he will represent me. And that was the agent who helped me get my career started in Countess, Lithuania in 2005. And you know, that ties in so beautifully to the fourth principle around personal initiative. Because one of the things that to me just kind of screams out on almost every page of your book is how you just live and breathe that. You don't wait for anything to happen to you. And I think that that is such a profound value to have, a profound way of being. That, because to me, it, 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 um, it is that difference between a victim and an owner mentality. You know, I'm going to, to take this on myself. And what you just described, you also talked in the book after you lost and having an agent and you needed to find another um, team to, to work for. I think you'd been on, what, three teams at that point? And you decided, you, you contacted, was it thousands or hundreds? Anyway, you wrote, that's right, you wrote thousands of emails to hundreds of different organizations. And I just loved that because it speaks to all of us in business about not giving up and, and, and asking yourself, what can I do in this situation to make things happen the way I want them to happen? So talk a little bit more about your whole principle of taking initiative and why that's so important. That has been... You know, while you were talking about it, I'm thinking, I was going to say that's been the most important principle, but I think they're all very important. I think they're all equally important. So when it comes to personal initiative, a lot of people are willing to, you know, read the books and listen to the podcast and watch the YouTube videos. But then when it comes time to actually implement the things that you have heard, a lot of people never get started. They actually don't get started, let alone do they finish. So for me, uh, even that situation, when I was trying to get my next contract, at that time, I think I was working at LA Fitness. So I had had a couple of jobs playing basketball and I had a job at LA Fitness, but I was trying to get back into the professional basketball world. And I remember uh, this was back in the MySpace days. I don't know if you remember MySpace I do. Before, before Facebook took it over, but MySpace, I remember I changed my name on MySpace and said, I'm not changing my name until I sign a contract. So that was my new, that was my MySpace screen name. And I was sending out emails every single day. I mean, I sent so many emails. And like you said, thousands of emails to hundreds of teams. Somebody might say, wait a minute, how did you do that? I sent the same, I emailed the same teams over and over again. I just kept, I would just change my approach, change the subject line, change what I was putting in the email, change what I was asking them to do. And finally, I got a team to respond to me and uh, sign me. And that's how I got back into the pro basketball game. And that that situation there was probably the most pivotal, I would think, just in my professional life, sports or not, because a lot of people can get to a position of tasting some success. You get started in something and you get some success. So maybe some beginners luck, maybe you're in the right place at the right time, maybe you're actually really good, but eventually you will face a challenge. Eventually it would, things will get challenging, things will grind to a, halt, to a halt, things will slow down, you will run into a question that you can't answer, the question is, what do you do then? What do you do in that situation? And in my life, what I've seen, a lot of people that I've come up with on the court and off the court, they have their successes at whatever points, whatever junctures, but when they run into a situation that they can't quite answer immediately, a lot of them, you never hear from them again. They fall by the wayside. So my willingness to keep going, to first of all, get started, and then to keep going and to turn that into something was, it was huge for me because that's, 
know, again, it kept my career going. It allowed me to keep playing and allowed me to keep doing what I wanted to do. And it gave me, Meredith, so much confidence because actually it was all four principles in one there. Personal initiative to get started, discipline to keep doing it, confidence to believe it was going to work, and mental toughness to uh, continue to try when it wasn't producing the results. I had conversations with several teams and they said, well, we can't sign you. We already have an American player. Uh, we don't have any money in our budget. Uh, reach out to us next year. I had that happen many times over the course of those 10,000 emails and I kept going. And so it's actually maybe the culmination of the whole work on your game philosophy was that story right there that I used all of those. So it's really interesting you came to that. And yeah. that was the thing. That was it. Well, and that's a great way to bring us to closure, even though we could go on, I know, for another hour, because you that was, that example to me pulled all four of those together. And I would love for um, the takeaway for my listeners to also think about how can they integrate all four of those? Which one maybe do they need to think about and work on that may be holding them back in some way. And I encourage them to get a copy of your book, Work on Your Game, because you've got so much more rich information in there than we could have covered today. So tell people how they can connect with you, get your book, and learn more about what you're doing. Get access to all that content you've created. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, my name is Dre Baldwin. You probably already know that. My main homepage website is dreallday.com. We're actually doing a complete redesign of that site right now. So if you like it now, it'll look even better in a couple of weeks. I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, probably most, I'm active on all of them. I'm active on Facebook every day. Facebook slash work on your game. Instagram is at Dre Baldwin. Twitter at Dre all day. And you all can just look these up. You're not going to remember the names. I'm on everything except TikTok. I'm on all, all the social media platforms. Of course, my book, Work on Your Game. You can get this at, well, of course, it's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon if you want. But we also have it at workonyourgamebook.com. And if you go there, we're going to not only give you the book, of course, but you're also going to get over $1,300 in immediate digital bonuses that you get only when you order at workonyourgamebook.com. If you order from somewhere else, you'll still get the book. And I think it's worth it. But you get the bonuses if you go to workonyourgamebook.com. But anywhere else, LinkedIn, every platform you can think of, I'm on it. Just look my name up. I'm easy to find. I'm the easiest guy to find on the internet. That's what I like to say. That's great. And that's D-R-E Baldwin. So thank you so much, Dre. I just admire all the, all four qualities that you embody in who you are and how you show up in the world. You're such a wonderful model for others. So thank you for being my guest today. And thank you for being the very special person you are. Well, I really appreciate you having me, Meredith. I hope we gave some good value that was worth the time to your audience today. Oh, lots. I think people will take lots of notes from all the great stories and insights you shared. Thank you, Dre. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, the five secrets to getting better at anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.